Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Hey, we're excited to have you with us here for season two of Faith in Your Recovery. We want to share with you all things recovery. We're going to have a little different approach to that today, but we know you're going to learn from it. You're going to gain from it. You're going to go out of here with a greater understanding than you tuned in with, and you're going to be able to make the kind of difference in your life and the life of others that we're sure you want to make. Welcome to the battle. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're here for you and with you. We get the struggle, the challenge, the stigma, the sense of loss, the guilt, and everything else that goes with it. We don't care if we're your first choice or last chance. We believe that together we can make a difference. I'm Randy Davis, the founder and executive director of A Better Life, Brianna's Hope. We're participant-driven, faith-based, compassion-filled Support and recovery movement for those battling the battle with substance use disorder, addiction. Our guest today, a friend, a pastor, a true misfit, and I'll let him explain that here in a little while, Donnie Foster. Welcome, Donnie. Well, hi, Randy. How are you? I am doing great. It's wonderful to have you with us. You and I haven't known each other too long in the sense of having shook hands for the first time or meeting or connecting, but I feel like I've known you a lot longer than that to hear your story and your life and what you're doing for God, his goodness and grace, and it's in you, it's on you, and you're sharing it. Well, I thank you for that. And again, being of like-mindedness of brothers, it's easy for us to get along because we have the same father. Amen. So, Let's let's tell the folks a little bit about your story. I've already introduced you as a pastor and a friend and a misfit. Let's go back in those days where you lived the misfit life before we come forward to the point to where you're helping those in the battle now. Amen. Tell us a little about your battle and struggle from early life. Amen. Well, my mom um, had—she uh, worked in, we'll call them the bars— and so she was promiscuous. So she brought different fellows home, and they were alcoholics. So I got beat from the time I was really little. And, like, the first time I could ever even think about the abuse, I had walked in a kitchen, and they had a percolator coffee pot, and I'd seen him in a, a situation with a, another lady that wasn't my mom. And so he threw that hot pot of coffee on me. And so I didn't understand the how abuse can happen to a little kid and— it just continued that way until, you know, I, I would go to my mom and tell her something was up and she would say something to him. Well, he'd beat me even worse. And so she went through guys all the time and it, it just seemed like I was a punching bag. What was that age range, Donnie? From about four to eight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then she um, married a guy and he was actually real well known in the community, but he was a drinker. And he was the same way. I was like the kid that always got beat up and smacked around and 
actually doing nothing, I, I just get hit. So I'd had enough of it. And so I tried to burn the house down and kill him and my stepbrother in the house. And the house burnt down. They sent me to a psychiatric hospital. And back then, they thought I was a pyromaniac and incorrigible, but they still did electric shock treatment back then. So I was 12 years old at that time when I was going through that, and I decided had enough of that electric shock, so I escaped from there. Well, that was my first experience with God. I went to this kid's house that I knew and knocked on the door, and when he opened the door, when I walked in, there was these pictures of this guy hanging on this cross, and there was these candles and the same kind of pictures, and I'm like, hey, dude, who's that? He's like, you don't know God? And about a few minutes later, there was a knock on the door, and the grandma had called the psychiatric place, and so I hated that God. So that's how misfits started becoming a misfit. Okay, okay. And one more time, please. What were you age-wise at that time? At that time there, I was 13. Okay, so your early teens. Correct. What kind of, did you have any positive self-worth or value? Did you feel like anybody was in your corner? Was there someone you could turn to or was everything so dark you just stumbled in the darkness? There was absolutely nobody in my life. My mom working three jobs. She was never around. So it was just always constant battle in my life. So at 13, I ran away from home and I lived on the streets of Los Angeles, California till I was 17. During that time, homeless for homeless, four years. Correct. Eating out of dumpsters. Part of the reason that we do our ministry today is because I knew what it was like not to eat. So I was jumping into these McDonald's or Burger King dumpsters, and I knew that if they take those 55-gallon drums out on the rollers, that, that that was warm food. So I'd time it. And one day, this young lady hollered, hey, don't do that no more. She goes, let me buy you a hot meal. Her name was Shauna, and she became my friend, and she invited me to a movie one day, a matinee. that tell you how old I am. So for all those kids out there, that's Netflix on steroids. And, you know, we, we understood that we are going to this movie, and she got hit by a car and killed right in front of me. Where on was your it? way to the movie. And where was this God now? And so I really hated I was all alone. But I seen this sign on the on the bulletin board said, "Join the military, serve your country." And you know I had nothing going, but I was born in '58 and I had a paper driver's license, and I took it eight and made it a three and joined the military. Serve your country. That worked really good, except Vietnam War had quit, so there wasn't nowhere to go and use my hands and all that shooting and everything I learned. So they sent me back out onto the streets, crazed out. Now I know how to shoot you, and now I know how to, to hurt you. So you were homeless before you went in. How, many, how long were you in the military? Four years. Four years. Where did you serve? Um, Lackland Air Force Base and Offutt Air Force Base. And those are located where? Um, San Antonio, Texas, and Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. I just want the folks to have an Absolutely. idea here. And so you served, you say, four years. 
Correct. You got out of there, you came back. It's hard to say you came back home because you didn't have a home to come to, it sounds like. That is true. Back to the same area, the same street, so to speak. And um, San Bernardino, California area, came back to that area, and I had a passion to want to belong to something, somewhere. There was this draw, but I didn't know, and it was motorcycles for me. I, I didn't like voices of people. They irritated me. But I had this draw for motorcycles, so I started hanging around, started fighting for clubs, and then became a prospect, and then became an enforcer for 20 years for a motorcycle club. So that motorcycle became your first connection with something that was meaningful and not directly harming you physically. That was my family. That was your family. Harley. Yeah. 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 So how long were you worth the bike? I was I was in there till I was thirty eight years old. So from the time I was probably right around nineteen till I was thirty eight. So half of your life at that yeah. point, basically. Yeah. Everything I learned was from the club. What did you learn? <laughs> how to kill, steal, rob, pervert and destroy. That's what I could do best. I didn't like people, places or things and back then I didn't have to have a reason. I drank hard, and back when I was doing drugs, it was cocaine and quaaludes. So I'd drink tequila, go get on that bike, and go do what I had to do. So were you able to stay out of jail during that time, or how many times were you incarcerated? (laughs) Tell us about some of the consequences. Well, you know, when you're doing against the law, they will finally catch you, and no matter how... That's usually the (laughs) case. pretty much, and... uh, I ended up getting in 12 and a half years. I did 12 and a half years in San Quentin, Folsom, Corcoran, Pelican Bay. I was three doors away from Charles Manson, so I'd made it, is what we think. However, it was one of the lost, most darkest years of my life. There was nothing, nothing. Do you remember Anything positive about that experience other than getting out of there? Actually, I do. There was a motorcycle group that came in, a Christian group called Bill Glass, Bill Glass Prison Ministries. And they came in, and I stood back on a wall and watched these Christian freaks do this performance and all this. And now, all these years later, I'm one of them performers that go with Bill Glass Prison Ministry, so... We're going to talk about that here in <laughs> yeah. a little while. We'll bring the folks up to up to speed, okay? Yes, sir. I use that in a positive way. Yes, sir. So you were there how long again? Did you say eight years? Uh, Twelve and a half years Twelve total. and a half years. Yes, sir. I got out in 97. Had, and you called that the darkest moments. Yes. Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. Did you learn anything positive about life while you were there, or was it more so learning other ways to destroy, uh, maim, whatever? I I became a certified welder, so that was a plus. So California did vocational training or schools in their prison systems. Okay. So I did try to do those, and so I say try because you could cheat. And we were cheaters, so, you know, but I did become certified. And the story to that, though, is being in Folsom State Penitentiary, working in the welding shop, 
being an enforcer, that's how they got their <clears throat> weapons of mass destruction back into the prison yards. Okay. So there was an evilness attached to it, yeah. not a plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you've served that 12 and a half years there between Folsom, San Quentin. You mentioned a couple Corcoran. others that just aren't familiar to me. Most of us know the two there. But regardless, what did life look like when you walked out of those gates? Well, when I walked out, I hadn't had any relationship with my mom. So I got a hold of my mom. She was in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I interstated my parole to Fort Wayne from Sacramento, California, which means that now Fort Wayne was my parole, so to speak. So I moved back and tried to get a relationship with my mom going that hadn't never been resolved since I was a kid. You know, there was just a lot of hurt and broken. I was drinking and it was just bad. However, God, God's gracious and patient. That guy who was in those pictures earlier that uh, you were angry at started to, to sense something, obviously. Well, later in life, I, fag- I found out that the pictures I seen of God weren't the God that I serve. My God isn't on a cross. My God went to the cross, went to a tomb, rose again for me. Yes. And when I learned that part... Satan destroyed me early in life by showing me a false image of God. Okay. 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 So what you saw worked in kind of a positive reverse way. Absolutely. For you. Absolutely. Okay. So you're out. You're trying to rebuild that relationship with your mom. How they or build a relationship. How did that go? Um... It was really rough because it was just superficial. There was no depth. There was never no conversation to get to the root of what had happened in my childhood. And then one day I was um, ministering at um, Northeast Juvenile Correctional Facility. And God told me as I was praying with a gentleman outside, he said, write your story. I was like, Write your story. I'm sixth grade educated. I don't even know a period from a semicolon. I don't know none of that. However, he sent a lady into my life that wrote my story. So that's, you know, kind of how it starts kicking off, so to speak, with mom. Because the author invited mom over for the story in the book, Uh. but didn't tell me until the mealtime when mom walked in the door. What are you going to do? So we had an opportunity to talk, and that night, God opened a relationship. that My mom just passed away about two months ago, and I was her power of attorney. I was, I told her, the cutest. <laughs> she even confirmed that on her deathbed. But we had a, a relationship. That had to mean a ton of healing. It was amazing. It was amazing. What is one moment that sticks out in your mind and heart the most during that building process or even those last moments? Um, I sat there for approximately two to three weeks with my mom, and she was coherent at first. And, you know, we were able to really understand that 
God forgives. We forgave. There's nothing on this earth that she had to worry about that I will see her. And wow, took her, God took her home. That's hard, isn't it? <laughs> That's hard. Nah, I'm a tough biker dude. It ain't hard. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Praise God for that, radio. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's... That's a struggle, but you fought above the struggle and the pain and that willingness to forgive and to step forward. Uh, that's put you where you are today and may have been, pardon me, the kick in the tail you needed to get where you're at for you to forgive, not necessarily seek forgiveness, but for you to forgive. Amen. And during the, the writing of the book and my mom and I restoring, it restored me to my other half-brother, and his dad was one of the dads that inflicted some issues on me. And that guy accepted Jesus before he died. And I was like, praise God. But now my brother and I have a relationship. And when my mom was passing away, my other brother and I, that none of us talked for 40, 50 years. We all were in the same room. I'm forgiving each other and watching how God can work. You wouldn't have bet two cents there 45, 55 years ago that would ever happen. Absolutely not. Absolutely I not. I mean, that was— I cut them off. They were, yeah. they were done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and anybody who would have told you, you'd have had some words for them, Amen. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that you don't use any longer, okay, or it's in your style. Yes, so you were able to heal that relationship— connect with other family members, lead us ahead to your personal connection with God, even if you've got to take some steps backwards to get us there. Tell us about that relationship. When I got out of the 12 and a half years in 97, I still hadn't figured it out. So I got in a high-speed pursuit in California, got caught, and I was a three-strike habitual offender. So I was facing 104 years to life. Wow. Yes, sir. And two words that changed everything but God. And so the lady that I'd wronged, I stole her motor home and all her jewelry and everything. She showed up in court and said that she had had a vision from God. And he said to her to drop all the charges against me, that I would change my life and start being a spokesman for him. And... It was the first time in my life I know that it was real. I started crying like this uncontrollable camp breathing, and I knew that the spirit was tugging on me right then. And the judge took a recess, pulled my third strike off the plate, and I got four years for it. And when I finally got out in 99 for good, then it started changing, meaning if God pulled me off of a hundred years sentence to not be a Paul in prison, to be able to be an evangelist for him out here, I said, okay, dude, I want a plea bargain with you. I want three things. You're plea bargaining with God. Well, yeah. Right? yeah, dude, I yeah. plea bargained with the well, club. Why not? Why sure. not? I didn't sure. know him that good. You know, I mean. What'd you have to lose? Amen. <laughs> I just got freed of a hundred years, so might as well try some more. So I asked him for three things. I said, I want a wife that I can love, that I can really embrace and, and not do affairs on and beat on and all that. And 
I want a little girl. And I want to name her Shauna. And I said, Lord, and I want to serve you with my whole heart. Well, my wife, my beautiful wife, her name's Kelly. <laughs> Been married 19 years. She's the love of my life. She's just such an angel. Loves me unconditionally. Our little girl's named Shauna. She's seven, 18 tomorrow. Happy birthday, Shauna. <laughs> Amen. And I serve Jesus. I try to do it on a daily basis, but I'm human. So, you know, that's keeping a mindset on Christ and doing his will. We're, we're ignorant humans. You know, sometimes I ride bikes and cars don't like bikes, so I might get a little bit distracted. But God, two words that changed everything has focused us into my children that I had left when they were little babies for the club and for my wild lifestyle showed up in Fort Wayne about three years ago to meet their dad on my 60th birthday four years ago. I had all five of my children in my house for the first time in my life. My son forgave me, he's 43. My daughter, Jasmine, Gabriel's my oldest, Jasmine. She forgave me, Tara. She forgave me, Cameron. He forgave me and Shauna. So why do I serve God? Because, dude, I kind of like this lane. And this one here I'm, I'm pretty cool with because, see, I know I can always go back. That's Satan's job is to try to suck us back into the vomit. But, see, I don't go back no more. I progress forward. Every day, I get up, dress up, and show up and progress forward. If I regress for my anger or uh, I miss something or a thought, I just repent, and then I progress back forward. I will never relapse into the vomit again. Never does anybody have to relapse in the vomit again. If we regress, get up, brush your booty off, and progress back forward because, see, our job is to tell the truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ loves you. He chased me. I'd say he chased me because, dude, he was always knocking on my heart, yeah. you know. Yeah. Always. He, he loved us. He loves us so much. He died for us. But broke again. So if we don't get that part. You know, I, I listened to this. Sounds like fairy tale. <laughs> I know it's not. It's a God tale. Okay, I get that. But all that that was restored and more. All that has happened, it doesn't boil you down to your two words, but God. Amen. Man couldn't you couldn't <laughs> have done that on your own. Uh, no, I could mess it up on my own. Yeah. Oh, wait, I did. <laughs> Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? Amen. Well, it's a mess right now. Amen. But regardless, your your willingness to take that step forward progress, I think, is what you kept saying. Yeah. To progress forward in your your male maturity, your spiritual maturity, your family maturity, 
to seek to become the person God created you to be from the get-go. Amen. He never forgot who it was, even if we don't see who it is. He didn't forget why he's created us. So I'm aware of some of the ministry you're doing now. But before we do that, I want to give you a plug here. Tell the folks the name of your two books, right? Yes. Tell them about that and tell them how they could get those if they have an interest, okay? Amen. Well, the first one's Face Down, the Donnie Foster story, and that one's written for the audience of those incarcerated, so to speak, whether you're on the street mentally incarcerated or you're locked up physically. It, you'll get it because, see, that target audience is those that say there's no hope. Read the book. Because God will give you hope. And even in your darkest times, and you don't even realize that hope. So the very last word in that book, on purpose, is hope. God is our hope. The second book was written 10, 12 years later, um, face down, but God, two words that changed everything. And it just allows, uh, I like to call them those um, others that say he's going to go back, he's going to prison, he'll never get it, blah, blah, the naysayers, so to speak. Yep, yep. That I got it, you know, at least, you know, 10, 12 years worth of it right now. But it just allows you to understand that all those that we've touched. And so we've interviewed a lot of people that we've been able to touch, and God's been able to restore their families and stuff. So it's more of an encouraging stay in the game 10, 12, till you go home to Jesus. And these are the things God restores. Uh, my kids are all in the book. My wife's in the book. My uh, mentors are in the book. My pastors are in the book. Everybody that means anything to us has prayed over that book. And it, that book is not for Donnie Foster. Oh, star Donnie Foster. No, dude. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's it. One beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. But if you want to read it while you're sitting on that bunk, read it. Then you go write your story. Yeah. Because every one of us have a story. Amen. Amen. So how can the folks get those books? Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. Um, they're type it in, Google. I don't, I don't, I give them mine away. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, Give them the two titles one more time in case they want to write it down. Face Down, the Donnie Foster story. And book two is Face Down, But God, Two Words That Changed Everything. Face Down, the Donnie Foster story. And the and second one was Face Down, But, but God, God, Two okay. Words That Changed Everything. All right, folks, I just want to make sure you have access to that because uh, I've been touched here. And if you have, maybe you want more of the details and we can provide you at this time. So, Donnie, as we were headed there, let's go ahead with where you're at in life today, how you're serving God, the different ways, what God's doing in you, through you, for you, with you, about you, around you. Hit us with that, okay? Wow. All I can say is, but God, I am nothing without him. I am so blessed with such an amazing team, starting with my best friend wife and my mentors that have allowed me 
to be a dad. I didn't know how to be a dad. So I had to learn how to be a dad. I had to learn how to be a husband. I had to learn how to do all that. And as I learned, I still had that passion to go and meet our people on the street that were just like I was. And so 17 years ago, we started uh, Misfits Ministry, um, where we now go on Sunday nights to the homeless population in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And our motto is, we will give you a hand up, not a handout. Misfits has an acronym. It stands for Moving in Spiritual Fellowship, Including Those Suffering. Misfits. So we are misfits, but I look at it like this. I'm now blessed to be able to speak as a motivational speaker with Bill Glass Prison Ministry, so I travel with them. I'm now— How many prisons, jails, whatever you guys go to, would you say you hit in a year that you personally— That I personally hit? Yes. Um, This year I hit five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm a full-time pastor at Union Chapel in Bryan, Indiana, down by Portland. Love it. Amazing. Taking a city boy that preached on the street and putting him in a country church, God has a sense of humor. And I I can assure the folks with all love that Union Chapel is the country. Okay? You'll never confuse it with small community even, let alone city. But a wonderful group of people who love the Lord. Amen. uh, Amazing family. to know many of them over the years. Yeah. Tell us more about the work of Misfits. Well, Misfits, again, we um, started serving them cheeseburgers. Uh, my son and I started it when he was eight. Um, my, when I married Kelly, she had two children, so they're my children. But Cameron, he was eight, and I was like, let's go feed the homeless. So we bought cheeseburgers and went down, and he told one of his friends, and so it just started. And now we have not missed a Sunday night feeding our people on the streets of Fort Wayne in 17 years. Now it went from cheeseburgers to we have been blessed by churches, um, families, um, different people that actually sign up months in advance, praise God, to supply a meal. So we're taking full seven-course meals out to them, and we do a sermon first, short, two- to five-minute um, so you have them come together correct. and share a two- to five-minute sermon. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I, the only reason they're coming to us now is I um, had uh, surgery and had hips put in. So I couldn't crawl down in the valleys anymore. So they started coming out for like six months, and I, so it just stayed. Gotcha. And now we have a uh, the roof, um, the viaduct where the railroad is, so we stay dry, you know, in the snow and all that as well. So— Yes, they come out to us. How many on a given night? Um, park, uh, an average. 120, 150. In Fort Wayne, oh, Indiana. Yeah. yeah. Blows me away. Absolutely. Uh, and what happens is over these years is we've watched them grow, move into apartments, get married. We do baptisms, marriages, on, you know, on the streets. So they'll come back out and have supper with us. So... Your alumni. Absolutely. But they're the best ones to speak to those that are in the, in the sure. trenches now. For sure. Absolutely. We've never done that. I have the scars to prove it. T-shirt wearing it. You, you bet you. You got it. And we just had um, two of them speak last weekend, you know, and one was there a year ago. She's, you know, clean. She's working. She's just totally different people. 
you know, and we get to see this, and we we spoil them. We we want them to know El Roy, God sees, and He sees them, and we get to go there. I don't go there to go look at what Donnie Foster did, dude. If he could do it through a donkey. He can do it through us. Come we don't have on. excuses that Amen. are going to fit, do Amen. we? None. Yeah, None. We have a lot of excuses, no reasons. Amen. So you use the word we. How many are in your team when you go to on a Sunday evening? And I know there's background people who don't go, who help provide the food or set it up somehow or another. Yeah. We we are a nonprofit, 501c3, so I have a board. I have a lawyer on the board, uh, CPA, keeps me out of jail and keeps the money, right? Plus two or three other voting people. But the volunteers are priceless. We've had them grow up on the street from little babies that have been serving. You know, my daughter, 17 years, came out in a stroller. But what we see is if there's five volunteers there because it's, you know, 30 below and snowing, they're just as dedicated as if there's 100 volunteers out there. We do not put a restriction on who can come out and who can't. If you want to come out and give somebody a hand up, come on out. So we invite people to bring their church groups out, bring their youth groups out, learn what it's about, because actually we're praying about pursuing this in Portland as well. So, you know, it worked. For 17 years. You're, so you really think there's a need in a town like Portland, Indiana? 100%. Or? 100%. Wow, so do I. Yeah. So do I, just so you know, yeah. I'm playing with you there. Oh, okay. I, 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 uh, we don't want to admit that sometime, a, that I, it's in our town. It's always in the next town over. It's always in the bigger town. Yeah. No. No. It's it's in our backyard, yeah. folks. Uh, and, and, you know, even if you're cousin, nephew, whatever's couch surfing, precariously housed, they're homeless. Yes. So yes. don't just think because they're out under a pine tree, it's still how you're looking at them. Are That's you willing to not judge them? Well, I've, I've done this too many times for them. If someone would have said that in my life, I wouldn't be sitting here, Randy, with gotcha. you. Gotcha. Gotcha. So... We'll, we'll start move toward our close. We don't have to do it this heartbeat. What else would you like to share that I haven't given you a prompt for or something that's come to mind or heart that you'd want the folks to hear? Well, as I was waiting to come in for this podcast, the gentleman out front, the passion that this building has and this block and this community, that's what I want to see collaborated between all counties. This isn't a one county, Madison County, Jay County, Allen County type thing. This is a world problem that we have with addiction. If we collaborate together and use our resources together, we can make a difference for one. We've got to quit looking at the organization and look at the person in need. Look at that one we can reach. It's not a competition against, but a competition with and a competition for. It's not this organization against that one. It's how can we reach that person who's who's in that darkness you've spoken about so often here. Yeah. As you know, the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. 
I would like for you to express to the folks in your words what that title means to you. Uh, it's not a right or wrong definition. What is your what is your heartfelt thoughts on that title, faith in your recovery? My faith is dependent upon my discipline. And I get up every morning at 3.30 in the morning. And I, by faith, know God's meeting me. And we spend two hours every morning, sometimes three. And every day, by faith, I go out that door and know that my mindset has started the day on him. That's my faith. Look at all the different things you can be doing with that two hours. Number one, you could be sleeping. Number two, you could be doing your hobby. Number three, you could be going here, there, or everywhere. Why would you want to spend that kind of time with God at 3.30 in the morning? Two years ago, I about died from COVID. And God said, you're fat. You need to lose. I was 100 pounds heavier than I am now. And you need to get healthy. And you need to spend time with me. So I disciplined myself with his time. Kind of got a little sluggard on the physical side of it. However, I stayed in with him for two years. And now it's just, I can't sleep. I have never given time to God that I have missed. Okay? Whether it was 15 minutes or you know, two very solid hours, whatever it was, I've never wished at the end of the day I had that time back. Mm. It just increased my time, my effectiveness. It increased me, made me a better me. Amen. So, any last words before we close out here, Donnie? Again, um, what I've seen um, since I've been over here in Jay County and this different areas over here is you guys got it going on. It's, a, it's coming back to the truth. You're bringing the truth and the hope back into the communities of Jesus Christ's true will for our lives, and that's to be loved. And you're a part of that. Thank you. Thank you for what you've shared with us today, folks. I know. I know you've been touched and moved by this. We'd just like to ask you to, to like our our podcast, to subscribe and share it. And if you've got an issue, if you're at a point in your life where where help is hard to find, keep looking. Don't give in. Don't give up. Have faith in your recovery. Faith in God. Stay in the battle. God bless. Amen.